joy of the Lord, Lord, that is our strength. Lord, I pray uh, today, Lord, as we uh, got further dig into Nehemiah and the principles of Nehemiah, as we Lord, talk about spiritual warfare, the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. And Lord, today, God, that you have equipped us with weapons to fight with. Lord, that uh, each one of us, as we find ourselves in the journey of faith and walking with you, God, that, uh, Lord, that you would equip us, Lord, to be victorious, to fight the battle, Lord, God, the right way, Lord, that we would fix our heart and our mind on you today, that you would speak to us through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you are, uh, again, visiting with us today, you, we are, we've been in the series for a bit, starting in the fall. And uh, we're winding it down. Um, there's one more sermon on this series, um, but we've, it, we call it 52. It's based on uh, the, the book of Nehemiah, this Old Testament historical book of Israel um, and the things that were going on in Israel at that time in history. Um, Israel had an up and down time. I mean, God, God created them, set them apart. We see their story unfold in the Old Testament. Um, that uh, through Israel, again, the Messiah would be for all people, for all nations, and thank God we Gentiles get to, we have the Savior in Jesus. But the Old Testament um, points us to the reality of what was happening in Israel. God had plans for them, and at times in Israel's history, you see it through, uh, through the prophets and through the times of the kings. They were, they were on a roller coaster ride. There were times when they would follow God and say, we, are, we, we want to serve God, and then there were times when they were um, seasons that they would veer off and say, we want to do things our own way. We don't need God. We're rejecting God. We're rejecting His ways. And God was always saying, come back to me. He used prophets to speak to the people, come back to me. And He even warned, He said, there are consequences to your sin. There are consequences to you being God of your own life. And you need to know that. And God, God in His heart and love saying, I don't want you to go your own way because if you continue to go your own way, there's destruction, there's, there, there's all kinds of bad things that are ahead of you if you keep going your own way. Nothing's different. We, we have the same deal. I mean, that was the, God was dealing with the children of Israel, and now He deals with us, and our tendency sometimes is to go our own way, isn't it? And God is making the call, even as He did to them, He's calling to us to come back to Him. And through Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's saying, Come back to me. Give me your heart. Give me your life. And the children of Israel, um, they suffered some heavy consequences. And this, at this time in history, we see the children of Israel, they've been scattered. And this is one of the things God said if you keep going your own way, you're going to be exiled and scattered, sent away from your homeland. You'll be taken captive. And we see at this time in, in, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is this man who is actually, he's a part of that group of Israel that was, he was captured. He's actually a slave. He's working for a foreign king. And word comes to him, and God calls him to be a leader to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because Jerusalem had been torn down. The walls had been burnt to the ground. It was a bad day for, for, for Israel, for Jerusalem. And so word comes to him that these walls, because of sinfulness, were broken down. And, and his first response, and we've been looking at these principles through the book of Nehemiah, his first response is to begin to pray. And he doesn't rail at God saying, why did you get this into this mess? He says, God, you are good, you are loving, and you are kind. And he begins to talk about who God is. 
And then he says, God, we, we're the ones, we've geared off, you haven't. The problem isn't with you, it's with us. And I acknowledge my, my own sin, the sins of my father, the sins of our people. We have done this. The walls are down because of our sin and disobedience. This is us being our God of our own life. And when you have begun being the God of your own life, your proverbial walls in your heart will be torn down. And God, through his love, continues to call us back to himself. Come back to me. Come back to me. And it's amazing that Nehemiah goes to Israel, or goes to Jerusalem, and, and, and he begins to have a vision and a purpose that gives him to lead a, a rebuilding of the walls. And that's the principle that we've been looking at. And there's good news in that the walls were torn down. They were burnt to the ground. God gives vision. He gives hope. He gives strategy to rebuild. And uh, so our key verse is the next one. Um, at the end of this situation is that it's in my 16 so on October 7th, the wall was finished in 52 days. That's the reason that the title of the series called 52. What God can do with a life that is surrendered to Him. What God can do with the people that say, God, we want to do it your way, we want to come back to you. And God gave strategy, and they began to rebuild the wall. And in 52 days, miraculously, they were able to rebuild the wall. Now, that wasn't without some resistance. There was an enemy of Israel that did not want them to rebuild the wall. They had helped tear it down, and they did not want to see it rebuilt. And what is God speaking to us in that time is when you are following the Lord and you are following His plan and purpose and you've given your life to Him, the enemy of your soul wants to wants you not to do that. And we see resistance from the enemy. We see uh, threats of the enemy. We see the, the plans of the enemy to try to frustrate what they are doing. Just like we see in our own hearts that the enemy will come against us. And so the, the principles we looked at are taking an honest inventory of our lives, being transparent before God, um, looking at our own lives in prayer. We talked about prayer being a relationship with God. The key purpose of prayer is to know God and to make Him known. We talked about repentance, restoring relationship to God, coming back to God. Then we talked about our purpose and being committed to and connected to what God has called you to do. He has a purpose for your life. Then over the last couple of weeks, um, uh, two weeks ago, we, we did two weeks in a row on spiritual warfare, the reality that there is a battle. You don't have to look around too far to look at the state of the world um, to know that there is a spiritual battle on the earth. And this spiritual battle is also for our own hearts. And the enemy of our soul does not want us to follow God. He does not want us to um, find our plan and our purpose in Christ. He wants us to veer off. He wants you to be your own God, do your own thing, take control of your own life. And that, that, that is his, his aim and his strategy. However he can do that, he will do it. And so there is a reality to the battle. But thank God that God calls us to fight. And he gives us weapons to fight with. You know, when I was in the military, and some of you guys, that gals that serve in the military, a part of what they do is, you know, you, you have to do weapons training, and you get a, you get a weapon assigned to you. There, there is, if you think of natural warfare, it would make no sense to send someone into a uh, hostile enemy territory without proper weapons, right? 
that you need to be trained, that you need to be understand the arsenal of weapons that you have at your disposal. And it also does no good to have weapons and not know how to use them. And so this morning, my prayer is that that, that this will be an equipping time to learn learn how to fight spiritual battles for your heart, for your home, for your marriage, for your children, for your brothers and sisters, for the body of Christ. And so we're going to look at how to fight and resist the enemy. And so we're going to jump into Nehemiah. I'm going to read this. I read this a couple weeks ago, but we're going to look at this passage again. What was happening? He says, Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see it, we will be right there among them. We will kill them and put an end to their work. What did Jesus say about the devil? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? He said, I come that you might have life. And so, this is with the tactic of the enemy back then. Then the Jews who lived near came by and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. And so, even amidst the people of God, there was fear, and they were afraid, and, and, and they were, they were, they were you know, scrambling all about them. They're going to attack us. So verse 15, therefore, safety, some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And so there's some weapons. Verse 14, next slide. After I looked over the things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. First of all, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. In other words, he's saying the battle is worth it. The battle for your heart, the battle for your marriage, the battle for your home, the battle for your children. It is a battle worth fighting. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah, verse 17, who were building the wall. Those who had carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So they were working, and they, were, they had a weapon in one hand, and they had a tool in the other. You're called with a purpose. You are called um, with a plan and a destiny by God to be in His kingdom. And so there is work to be done. There are lives and there's souls that need Jesus. And that is the work of the kingdom that God calls each of us into. But we need the weapons in the other hands. Verse 18, And each of the builders wore his sword and decided to work. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out. And we talked about, you know, we, we corporately gather on Sundays and we are together at times. But, you know, we are spread out. The work is spread out. You go to your workplace, you go to your schools, you go to the places that God has called you the sphere of influence. And so we get spread out. And so the work is spread out. He says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there and what? Our God will fight for us. And so isn't it interesting that, 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 the, that the Lord says, I'm going to give you weapons to fight with, but just know this, you are not fighting alone. God is fighting for you. Stay close to Him. Understand that God is fighting for you. How do we get God to fight for us? If we do it His way. Amen? That was the, the promise is that, you know, with, with the, sinful, the sinfulness and disobedience and the way the enemy had access to Israel, the way the enemy came in and tore down their walls was because Israel had decided, we don't need you back. 
We will be God. We will be in control. We reject your way of doing things. I will be be God of my own life. This is the original sin, Adam and Eve. We will be our own God. And God is saying, I have good for you. I have the best for you. And so the enemy comes in where we have given him control. Basically, we're saying we want to be our own God, and guess what? We are lousy God. We are lousy at it. And so God calls us that to come back to me. Come back to me. And when we go to him and we run to him, then God fights for us. That's how we get God to fight for us. And, and, and if I can be honest with you in my own life, there were times in my own life where I was going through spiritual battles and spiritual struggles. And I would cry out to God, God, you need to, you need to help me. You need to, why won't you listen to me? Why won't you see that all the stuff that we're going through and we're, we're dealing with this and that, why won't you hear me? Why won't you fight for me? Because it seems like you're far away. Anybody been there? And for my own heart, I can tell you that there are times in my life where God was saying, you've not given me control of that. You're God of that area in your life. And I'm wanting all of you. So you're you're calling out to me, but you're not going to do. You, you, but you're not doing life my way. But as was in the case of Nehemiah, we're called to fight, to fight for our hearts, our families, our marriages again, to fight for each other and not against each other. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. And so this battle, what is Paul saying? We're going to fast forward now to the. The New Testament. Let's look at what Paul says. Paul talks about the reality of the battle. Listen to what he says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is not a worldly battle. This is not a flesh and blood battle. He said the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Demolish them. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So he says we live in the world, but we don't wage war like the world does. The battle isn't against the world, but against spiritual forces. And so the weapons that we fight with must be spiritual. And what Paul is saying is if you will grab hold of the weapons that God has for you, you can demolish strongholds in your life. What are strongholds? They are sins that can take us down. It's sins that the enemy wants you to live with. It's sins that may be in your family. My dad is an addict. My grandpa is an addict. My great-grandpa is an addict. And the enemy wants me to be an addict. He just wants to keep it coming down. Right? And he wants to spread this out and then it becomes a stronghold. In other words, it has you. You do not have it. It's a stronghold. It's holding me strongly and I have no control over it. And then we get frustrated in these places and I understand what it means to have a stronghold. I've had it. And God's saying, through the Word of God, I want to give you weapons that you can demolish them. Not put up with them, not live with them, but to live victoriously and to demolish them. That you can look and say, yeah, my dad, my grandpa, my great-grandpa, they all dealt with this and that, but it stops with me. And it's not going on to my children in the name of Jesus.
So I believe Scripture's divine power to demolish strongholds. But the enemy will try to make you think that you're always going to deal with this. You're always going to be battling it. There's really no freedom from it. You're just going to have to put up with it. And that's why it says, and interestingly enough, he talks about weapons of, the, of our warfare, but he also says demolishing those thoughts, every thought, and taking it obedient to Christ. Because you know where the main battleground is? Right here. It begins with a seed, a thought, a lie. Just a little bit. And it might even be, it might even be, have a little truth attached to it. You're an addict. And it's like, yeah, and then you get shame, and you're like, I'm always going to be in, I'm always going to but yes, I'm an addict, but in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to be forever, because I'm going to walk in freedom. So how do we fight these spiritual battles for our hearts? How do we do this? How do we demolish and destroy strongholds? Let's look at what Paul says in Ephesians 6. So here's the weapons of our warfare. Then this is one you're going to know, you're going to be very familiar with. Finally, be strong in the Lord and whose mighty power? That's really important to know. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Not your mighty power. Not your willpower. His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Because he's scheming against you. For our struggle, our wrestle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But he will try to make it about the enemy will try to make it about flesh and blood. He will try to deflect and say, "It's this person, it's that person." We turn on each other, right? Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against your parents. Your battle is not against your kids. Your battle is not against your spouse. Battle is, 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 is spiritual. Against the rulers, against the authority, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. So that you are equipped to be able to stand because the schemes of the enemy, his battle is coming against us. Now, again, that's not to draw fear in us. It's just, again, I said this two weeks ago, it's not to focus on what the enemy is doing. It's saying there's a reality to it, but I'm not going to live in fear that I'm just going to be ready to be able to take my stand. Verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And this is all this take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. These flaming arrows against our heart and our mind. Lies condemnation, shame, pointing at other people. And he just comes with those over and over. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with, the, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. They're you know, fighting for one another. And so this this idea of the armor of God that we, a lot of us have heard about, and, and, and we could take each one of those pieces of armor and we could do a whole experiment series on that. I'm not going to break all of that down today, but you notice that the pieces of the armor of God are all defensive except for one. Do you notice that? They're protective in nature. And so we're told by Paul that we have weapons and then the armor of God. This is the beginning place. This is to suit up, Right? The armor is to suit up to get ready. 
but they are contested. But if you, interestingly enough, they're all connected with the person of Jesus Christ, all the people of the armor. They're all his attributes and titles. Can you see that? So put the belt of truth. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the... It's the belt of truth. It's, it's him. Jesus is truth. Truth isn't up for interpretation. In our culture today, people want to make truth relative to whatever you think truth. No, truth is a man. His name is Jesus. He embodies truth. He is truth. He's the one that makes the standard of truth. It's not open for interpretation of what we think of it. Sorry to burst your bubble. Truth is found in Christ and His Word. In the breastplate of righteousness, one of the names of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah Sitkenu, is He's the Lord our righteousness. Who is righteousness? It's not just a thing, it's a man. His name is Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness. So I have the belt. I have Jesus as my truth. I have Jesus as my righteousness that guards my heart. Because you know why, guards your heart, why, why the breastplate guards your heart? If this is my own righteousness and my own goodness, the enemy can penetrate through that. Because we're not basically good. And that's when the enemy comes at you with, you are, you, are, you are this, you are that. You can say, yes, but not in Christ I'm not. I'm covered in His righteousness. I'm not free or forgiven by my own goodness, but His goodness. Then it says, the shoes of the gospel of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Am I walking in His peace? Do I have Him on, as I walk daily? Do I walk in His peace? Do I have Him as my Prince of Peace? Is He your source of peace? And peace isn't a thing, it's a person. The field of faith, right? Listen to what Psalm 28 7 is, not up on the screen, but the shield of faith. Faith is more than just the shield, is more than an idea or a thing. It's a person. The Lord is my strength and my shield, David says. My heart trusts him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. When I put my full trust in him, he guards my heart against the arrows of the enemy. And David wrote this way before Paul had written. But he understood the battle. The arrows of the enemy try to come at my heart, but Jesus is my shield. And when he's my shield, they can't come at me. The helmet of salvation. You know what Jesus means? The name Jesus means the Lord, my salvation. Salvation is more than an act. When we say we get saved, that whole idea of we get saved or salvation, is salvation is a person. He is my salvation. And then the only weapon listed here, I think, is the chief weapon that we fight the enemy. It is the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is your Scripture. It is the truth of Scripture. A lot of us don't know how to fight because we don't know how to use the Word. We don't know the Word. That's why it's so important to know the Word of God. What does it say? What does it teach me? We're going to get into that in a minute. He's the Word made flesh. He's called the Word of God. He's, he is truth and He is revealed in knowing the truth of who He is. And so there's all this armor that you know, you're putting on these pieces. This is what Paul says in Romans 13, 14. He says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the armor that he's putting on Christ. 
He guards my mind. He guards my heart. I walk in His truth and I walk in His peace because of Him. I give my life fully over Him. I clothe myself in the Lord Jesus. When you do that, then the truth of Jesus, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so we have an arsenal of weapons to fight with. Now, I'm going to run through these very quickly to encourage you, to equip you. This is not an exhaustive list. You could probably find more weapons. If you're digging in trip, you'll find a lot of weapons. Now, I'm not even going to get the, the, the weapon of thankfulness. What that does to your heart, we're commanded to be thankful in all circumstances. Because that is a weapon in and of itself. So this is not an exhaustive one. I think that these are some chief weapons, some chief things in our arsenal that we can fight against the enemy and that we can win the battle. Number one, let's go to the, let's go to the list. Unconditionally surrendering to Jesus. This is the idea that I just said. You are, you are clothing yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, Christianity will never be understood outside of complete, total, unconditional surrender of your life to Him. This is the whole idea that is seen through Scripture. is you not being God in any area of your life, but making Him Lord and Savior of all. I will live His way. I will do life His way. I will do marriage His way. I will do family His way. I will do work His way. I will live life His way. Every area. We don't compartmentalize our Christianity and say, well, today I'll be a Christian, tomorrow I'm not so sure what I'm going to be. It's unconditional surrender. And why do I say that? Because this is my testimony that the, the area of my life when I became a teenager, I grew up in the church, but I became very cynical of the things of God. But I went on a search for truth and authenticity, and I found Jesus, and, and the Lord spoke to my heart and then said, this is unconditional surrender of your heart and your life. That's the only way it'll be understood. Outside of that, if you try to just have one foot in the world, one foot in Jesus, I like Jesus, but I'm not sure that it leads to a life of frustration. And you'll never stick it out. This is how God fights for you in an place of unconditional surrender. If you have places where God is not God and you're holding on to areas of your life, don't be confused that the enemy is fighting against you in those areas and you seem to be losing ground. So this, my heart's cry to you today is, is, is this is the chief one. This is the most important. Is have you unconditionally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? It's the greatest weapon. Outside of this one, you might as well not even look at the rest of the list. The rest of the list makes no sense outside of this one. I know that sounds tough, but it's true. It's what saved me. It's what's taking its lordship. Who is God of your life? So other weapons. Let's go through these. I'm going to move through them very quickly. The, the sword of the Spirit. We just talked about that. The Word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Know it. This is more than head knowledge. This is more than clanking information in your head. This is the Word of God reading it and saying, I'm going to hide His heart. You know, Psalm 119, verse 11. I will hide His Word in, in my heart that I might not sin against Him. I will hide His Word in my heart that the, the, the strongholds of my life can be shattered. It's more than just having head knowledge. It is having transformational knowledge. And so freedom comes by hiding in His Word. Everything for life is found there. And so if you're struggling in the area, what does the Word say? What does God want me to do? What is His Word? How is His Word directing my steps? 
Know the Word. It is the sword of the Spirit. Three, prayer. Again, we talked about this. The chief purpose of prayer is to know God. Relationship. And we are told in Galatians, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And through that passage, Paul says, walk in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to be in step with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the, is the, the third person of the Trinity. And sometimes we forget about the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's power. It says that He gives us power to live a godly life. Because we walk in step, paying attention, Holy Spirit, talk to the Holy Spirit. I need your power today to be godly, to live like Jesus. I need your strength. When you wake up in the morning, I encourage you, let your prayer be, Holy Spirit, give me power, give me strength today. Walk in the Spirit. Be in step with Him. Because what does He do? He's going to testify Jesus. He's going to convict us. Pay attention to those times when you, when you feel that you know something's not right in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit lovingly saying the things right. So prayer, knowing God, praying in the Spirit, knowing His love for you. Number four, obedience. Remember when Jesus saw the, the Great Commission, He says, just go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Obedience, I found, is a great weapon. When you know that the Lord is asking them something, James says this, when you know what to do and you don't do it, it is a sin. And so it's obedience. And, and it's not just this obedience going and grudgingly obeying. It's because, again, it's, it's all of these make sense in, in, in context of relationship. I love Him, therefore I want to obey Him. A lot of times we want to obey God to get Him to love us more. It doesn't work that way. He loves you deeply. And to transition that and say, I love God so much and I see His plan, I see His plan of good for my life, therefore I want to obey Him. Obedience. Number five. Let's go to the next one. Repentance. Great weapon in our arsenal. Making things right with God quickly. When you stray, when you veer, and you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, when you sin, it is not a time to get what the enemy will do. He comes with this sledgehammer of, 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 of guilt, shame, and condemnation, right? God doesn't love you anymore. You see that? That's who you are. And He comes at you, and you have to just say, Lord, I repent. I understand. And repentance is more than just being sorry. Repentance saying is, I'm going to turn and go a different way. I'm not, I'm not going to walk that way anymore. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to forsake it. And it begins to lose its hold on you. Repentance. Restoring relationship with Him. Recognizing, again, the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter, when he's preaching in, in Acts, he said, repent, and then times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. There's something beautiful about getting right with God, recognizing the sin, not justifying it. See, the enemy wants you to either get condemned or justify it, make excuses for it. If it wasn't for this, if it weren't for that, if it weren't for my dad, my mom, this and that, if it weren't for this, I wouldn't be here. And he's saying, no, I reject all that. I've accepted sin. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, it was my sin that got us here. The walls are torn down because of our sin. God, we need to get right with you. And God, man, that makes us part from the life of you. He loves you. He wants to restore you. 
which goes into number six, humility. Humility is realizing our desperate need of Him. We can't do it on our own. It's not based on our own strength and our own merit. It's not self-reliance. Pulling yourself up by the boots that you are a strong man. You are a strong woman. You can just do it. No, that is not. That is a worldly mindset. Humility says I can't do it in myself. I desperately need Him. And I wake up every day realizing I need Him. James Ford says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means in enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I know that's strong language from James, but you know what? These were all written because of God's love for us. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he is constantly dwelling in? There's a jealousy of God. Not an earthly jealousy. When you see God is jealous, don't get caught up into human emotion. God's so much far higher than us. Don't equate him with human thinking. He's not like that. But James is saying this is a hard word because he's jealous that he loves you that much. And he wants best for you. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. When it says God opposes, the, real, the word there is he fights against those who are proud. They actually want to be humble, doesn't it? You versus God, God wins every time. This is the opposed, but he took favor to the humble. And that's when we wake up every day and we say, Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I'm going to walk with you every moment of the day. I'm going to be aware of your presence. I'm going to love you. Submit yourself into God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you see the condition there? Sometimes we just going to throw something out there. The devil, I resist you in the name of Jesus. But if you're not living God's way and you're not humbling yourself before the Lord, you can say that all day long and it doesn't work. But when you humble yourself before the Lord and you recognize your need of Him and you're clothing yourself in the Lord Jesus, you can resist the devil and He will do you. Number seven. Last year. Forgiveness. Forgiving other people is a powerful, powerful weapon. This is one of the things that probably is one of the hardest things to do. Is to forgive someone that has hurt you, abused you, done you wrong. It's a very difficult thing. That's why forgiveness goes beyond our feelings. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice that God wants to help you with. It guards our hearts and our minds. It releases us from torment when we forgive. When we refuse to forgive others, you know what? It continues to give them power over you. That's very true. When you forgive them, you release them, and it frees your heart, and it breaks the chains off that you've been wrestling with. And so the enemy wants to, again, make you justify not forgiving, but it will bring you unrest. And then ultimately, and I have that Jesus modeled it. Here's what he said about those who were tormenting him. They had just beat him beyond recognition. Now they are crucifying him to a cross. And he says what? And he's modeled it for a father forgive them. They don't know what they're And so the way we forgive is we have to have God help me forgive. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when the emotions aren't there. Help me, help me to 
forgive them. Number eight, the fear of the Lord. Not the torment of the Lord. Not the fear of the Lord that He is like a monster. But it's a healthy, reverential fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is honoring Him above all. It's knowing that He's fully in control, that He's the judge of the earth, and He will judge me one day. The Bible says that we will stand before Him. Do you live in such a way that you know you're going to stand before Him? Several places the Bible says that we will stand before Him and give an account when we die from this earth. We will stand face to face with the God of the universe. And so we have a healthy fear of the Lord, knowing that we will give an account for our lives. Proverbs 29, 25, so reading this morning, the one in your Bible says, Fearing people is a snare. It's like a hook in the nose. You're led around when you fear. And we're always worried about what people think. The fear of man, the fear of people. It says, but the fear of the Lord brings safety. Stay close to Him. Number nine, these kind of go together. Peace, rest, and contentment. Peace, rest, and contentment are great weapons that we have in our arsenal. The enemy wants you to be anxious. The enemy wants you to be stressed. The enemy wants you to worry about everything. Any anxiety people worry about, you worry about things. The enemy, that, that those are his tactics. The what if, the scenarios that are endless. Well, you know, if this happens and this happens and this happens and worry, stress, anxiety, and it kind of begins to rule us. And so peace, rest, and contentment it's knowing who we are in Christ, trusting in His sovereignty that brings me great peace. Knowing, Lord, I don't get it, but you're in control. I don't understand what's going on right now, but Lord, I know that you are in control. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Remember, He is the Prince of Peace. And He wants us to walk in peace. Number 10, last one. Let's go to the next one. Oh, one line scripture. Sorry about that. Yeah, you can go. You can go to that. That's fine. Next slide. Coming up. Boom. Bam. There it is. Philippians 4. That's what Paul says about contentment. Again, he's writing this from prison, so you've got to understand the context. He's not in a happy place, you know, if you think about it in worldly standards. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ. How many of you, you know the last verse, right? You ever think about the couple of verses before? I can do all things through Christ who's thinking and he said, yeah, I understand what it means to not have what I need. I'm trusting God for everything because I have a contentment in Him. He's my spirit. He's my God. He's my contentment. If I'm hungry, guess what? I understand that He loves me. If I have all I need, if I don't have what I need, He is what I need. And then the last one is at the bottom. Number 10. Be unoffendable. It's a great article written by Francis Frenchman, a great pastor. And he said, we need to learn to be un- unoffendable. Refuse to be offended. In our world, there are plenty of opportunities for you and I to be offended. You know? Somebody disappoints you. Somebody does something wrong to you. Somebody looks at you the wrong way. 
They meant to or they didn't mean to. Sometimes we have, if, we, if we're not careful, the enemy works on our hearts and we have this kind of a spirit of offense. We're offended by everything. Somebody, you ignored me at the store now. I didn't even see you at the store then. I was just on my way to get bread. I, I, I promise, I didn't purposely ignore you. Um, you looked at me the wrong way. I had gas that morning or something else. I mean, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, you know, it was, it, was, it was whatever. And we can have, and the enemy is right there to feed those lies to feed you reason to be offended. And when we say, I will not be offended, John Bevere wrote the book, The Bait of Satan. The whole book is about battling against being offended. You've got you to guard that. It is one of the major weapons of the enemy because what happens is we get offended. It leads to us being hurt and living out of the hurt and then justifying the hurt, right? They did this, so I'm going to do this. And being offended causes us to tear relationships apart. We walk away. We disconnect. It happens in marriages, families. It happens in churches. I don't like what's going on. I'm walking away from you. It's very easy to do that. In our culture, we have to guard being offended. Don't hold on to grudges. Let it go. As the Frozen song tells us. You guys were waiting for that, weren't you? I shared this story a while back, but I was wrestling with something that had happened. If someone was offended with me. And in my heart, I wrestled. I had done. I had done all that I. I, I had done it all that I knew to do. You know those times. I'm like, Lord, is there something else I would need to make right? There were. I said some things that you know. I tried to make things right, and I did what I knew to do, but it was still gnawing at me, and I was having a hard time sleeping. I got up one morning and I sat in my living room. I'm like, Lord, this is just so hard, and, and, and I, I don't. What what do I do with this? And I felt like the presence of the Lord, just in that still smallness, He just said, "This isn't your problem. This is their problem. They're wrestling with me." And so it helped turn my heart to give me peace and to pray for them. But they were offended, but they were going to be offended no matter what, and there was just nothing I could do or say. That's why the Bible says, "As far as it's concerned with you, be at peace." If God asks you, sometimes God will. Have you go to a person and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. He wants relationships restored. But if somebody's just looking through the thin lens of being offended, there's nothing you can do. You have to be a peace of God. Closing passage. We're called to live in victory. Romans 8. I love this, what Paul said. We are called to live in victory, guys. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's doing that rhetorically. He's saying nothing. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, he's saying there's a reality, right? He's saying the reality to the battle, right? Sometimes we're going through stuff. We are hitting, we're getting hit on every side, and, and there is a there's a battle in front of us, and we're we're walking through hardship. And Paul says, "But hang on, because nothing can separate you from God's love." He said, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. We are called to live in victory. We are not called to live with our stronghold. We are not called to just kind of limp our way through life. We are called to live in victory through Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, it will not come outside of the person of Jesus Christ and your life completely given to Him. 
the way you set it up. We are called to live in victory because victory is found in Him. We stand. We are more than conquerors because He's already won. Remember the cross where He said, It is finished, it is over. He went to His death, but in three days, He rose from the dead to reign in victory. We are more than conquerors because He's already conquered death, hell, and the grave. We are more than conquerors because He's already conquered sin for us. When we are walking with Him, we can walk in victory. We are victorious because of Him. So, Lord, we love you today. And we ask, God, that you would help us to fight the right way. Help us to, Lord, to walk in your spirit, to walk in the things that you have for us. Help us to know your word and to, Lord, be equipped with the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down the tearing down of strongholds. Lord, I pray that each person would walk in freedom. And that, Lord, most of all, that we would surrender our lives to Jesus. And if you are here today and you've never done that, and there might be areas of your life <clears throat> that you are still God, the Lord wants to lovingly take your hands off the steering wheel and say, give me control of your life. I love you that much. I have a plan for you, but I want you to do it my way. If that's you today, in the quietness of your own heart, I encourage you to respond to God. Lord, I give you my heart. I repent of my sin. I don't want to be God anymore, and I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And then He will help you begin to walk in victory. He will help you to begin to know His Word and to forgive and to repent and to walk in the fear of the Lord and to pray the right way. And He wants to walk with you because He loves you and He wants to walk in relationship with you. God, touch us today. We love you. We honor you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.